Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran Emporia, Kansas-based jazz singer Janice Borla. She is often cited for her adventurous, risk-taking approach. We get into her philosophy, the road to now, the future, and so much more. This is definitely a singer that continually challenges herself, keeping vocal improvisation front and center in her performances. With each successive recording, she drills deeper into the musical approach that has distinguished her from so many of her contemporaries. We cover some great ground in this interview with the master of jazz. Enjoy. Thank you, Janice, for taking a minute out. It's great to connect. Yes, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk with you today. So before we get into your life and music, how did you survive COVID? I know it was particularly difficult for the musician community. How did you get through that time period and how has it changed the way that you do things now? Well, wow, it was challenging to be sure. Um, You know, uh, we lost the ability to be in person on every level. So all performing and teaching activities had to go online and, um, and so really, like it or not, we all needed to get on board with the online tools uh, that we had, you know, available as soon as possible. You know, it was it was tough, of course, to be isolated and all of that. But I but I, I think that out of that whole period of uh, of um, the lockdown, the most significant work we did actually uh, was a result of that very challenge of having to function uh in in lieu of no person you know uh, in person events um and I, I guess i should mention here that uh last september my husband who's jack uh jazz drummer jack mouse and i moved to emporia kansas um his hometown but we were living in naperville illinois until then and so at this point in the spring of 2020 we were in naperville and the rotary club of naperville approached jack and me about producing an online event to replace its annual fundraiser, which was usually held in person. And what came out of that was uh, something we called Jazz Quilt, which uh, aired in October of 2020. And it was an hour-long fundraising event, if you wish, uh, for uh, for Rotary. And we functioned as the artistic directors, uh, and so we assembled a group of uh, six wonderful jazz artists to uh, to present solo performances from their respective locations. So we had uh, tenor saxophonist Scott Robinson from Teaneck, New Jersey, guitarist Fareed Hawk from, uh, well, he's based in Chicago for many years, uh, uh, pianist Pat Coyle from Nashville, bassist uh, Larry Gray from Chicago, and Jack and me from Naperville. So, and of course, you know, we were, we were really uh, naive about this thing to begin with. We we're like, okay, you know, kind of like, um, reminds me of Mickey Rooney and let's, let's put on a show. <laughs> so while it was our in- original intention to stream live, it became immediately apparent that it would be way safer to pre-record this because there were so many moving parts. So what we ended up with was um, each musician submitted a pre-recorded solo performance about three to five minutes long. And then it was edited together into an hour-long program hosted by the Rotary president and the president-elect and Jack and I introducing each of the artists. Now, this was filmed in our basement studio um, by Naperville Community TV production crew. It was all very, very amazing. And um, prior to the taping, we also produced a finale segment that combined all of us playing together, but not really. In other words, everybody layered their, their, you know, provided their part. We layered them in one by one. 
And then, and eventually the, the bottom line was we were look, we looked like we were playing simultaneously. It was quite a wonderful slate of hand. And, um, uh, overall, uh, the, the ben- benefit was very successful for them. It raised over $76,000 in sponsorships and online donations. And this all went toward mental health awareness and domestic abuse, which at that point was already, uh, on everybody's radar as being, you know, crucial and very problematic. And in fact, it's still online. Uh, you can be viewed on YouTube by just uh, Googling jazz. That's wonderful. So let's get into your history. How did the jazz get into you? How did the jazz roots <laughs> begin? What were some influences for you? Well, that's it's an interesting journey because, uh, you know, I uh, I trained as a musician early on in my life and spent many years uh, functioning well, in studying and listening to music, uh, but my household was not necessarily, jazz was not on our radar at all, to be honest with you. Um, I was born and raised in Chicago and the western suburbs. Uh, I mentioned that both my parents' parents came from Poland through Ellis Island back in those days of immigration. And I mentioned it just because it <laughs> kept a context for the fact that my first instrument was accordion. Now, you know, these days we look at that and then, of course, it, it caused me sources of embarrassment for years after that. But at the time, uh, you know, the, when I was studying growing up in the 50, 1950s and early 60s, Chicago had had an influx of, of Italian and then Polish immigrants. And so the accordion had this amazing moment where it was hugely popular for, a, you know, dozens or so years that I can remember. Uh, I studied in a school with three locations and hundreds of students and bands in each of the locations. And I, I played in an accordion orchestra that played classical works that were rescored for or accordion. And in fact, many of the Chicago pianists of my generation began as accordionists, as it turns out. Uh, so we all sort of found each other in the music business later on as, as we collided with one another. But the reason I bring it up uh, is the fact that um, uh, as a, you know, it combined a traditional piano keyboard on the right hand with this amazing uh, set of buttons on the left. I don't know if you know anything about it, but vertically it's set up in the circle of fifths and horizontally from right to left or left to right in and out. It's, it's, it gives you a set of all the sets of chord, you know, different chord families and a couple of rows of uh, single bass notes. My point being that even better than the piano, uh, it was an amazing instrument to learn and to absorb harmony on. Uh, you know, I spent many of my years studying, um, writing out, and uh, I, st- I studied with a, a, a t- uh, my teacher who had been a, uh, a graduate of DePaul University in composition and, and whatever. And so he was the one who was kind of reinventing all this music from the classics into accordion. And he put me in a two or three year regimen of writing out and playing all every freaking chord progression, scale arpeggio in two octaves than anybody ever imagined. And at the time, you know, it was for dexterity and, and technique on the instrument. But what I harvested from that years ago, I mean, years after that, I mean, was the fact that I had, had, mis- had miraculously, um, uh, absorbed all this harmonic information. And so, after school was over and I began working and delving more into the music, uh, I found initially that my, my, uh, transference into jazz 
was uh, really organic because the formulaic changes that were given me in standard t- song forms and so forth were like, well, this, this is pretty easy. I don't really see what the fuss is about, frankly. You know, it was, it was a matter of learning the rhythmic language and, and the idiomatic language, but I had the basic harmonic stuff like knocked because it was in my bones from so many years back. But in the meantime, um, you know, I went to U of I for graduate school. I, I, I graduated college with a BA in music or voice and musicology. And I went on to U of I in musicology. Um, long story short, it didn't, it wasn't a good fit. And it took me my experience there to realize that I wasn't going to be a musicologist. I was in fact going to be a performing artist. But in the meantime, it gave me a couple of really vivid experiences that were, uh, I think really, that took, you know, started taking me over to jazz. Well, one, not, not necessarily directly, but it was uh, the fact that I sang for three years in a contemporary avant-garde new music vocal ensemble. And um, for me, this is really adventurous because there's nothing I'd ever experienced before. Very abstract music. Um, I learned how to use straight tone for the first time in my life at that point. Um, and it planted a taste for experimental music that I've carried forward ever since. The other experience there was um, with the U of I big band. It was my first significant jazz encounter, if you will, live. And that was really coming from hanging out with the guys in the band. Uh, we were taking courses together. So we'd hang out at the Thunderbird. We'd have lunch. We'd have, you know, go for drinks. And uh, I was really drawn to them because unlike the rest of my uh, peers, they were actually performing and they were out gigging. And I was really excited about that. Um, I got to sing with the band a couple of times. And it was my first good dose of instrumental jazz music. So, um well, in the early 70s, I returned to Chicago, and gosh, it, you know, it was a very dynamic music scene in those days. Um, there were so many opportunities, uh, an array of, of live entertainment venues, nightclubs, supper clubs, showrooms, convention facilities, hotel ballrooms, scores of lounges with a trio, a trio and singer featured. So it was fairly easy to sort of start jumping in and getting involved in that situation. I, uh, my first actual professional gig that st- wait, went for a while was playing and singing in a, uh, uh, in a show band, a cover band of, of Chicago tunes. And uh, that's when I learned how to comp on piano. So that was a learning skill that was added at that point. Um, I play, I worked for Playboy about five years in Chicago, Lake Geneva and Atlantic City. Uh, you know, they were very, very receptive to jazz. Uh, Hugh Hefner was a big jazz fan. And uh, even though <laughs> it was an interesting experience because that was the, you know, the, the moment in time when women had to, were, were confronting the whole sexual, uh, uh, what's the word, stereotype of, of, of Playboy clubs. But, um, you know, I just blew that right off. And, and my, my job was to, uh, was to perform either in the small lounges with a jazz trio or in the large showrooms, uh, opening for, you know, comics of that generation that were popular. Then Frank Gorshin and Charlie Callis and Shecky Green and all of that. So, you know, th- this was a time when we, we were all, if you will, I was singing in a jazz style. I was, wasn't just, I wasn't necessarily aware <laughs> that I was a jazz vocalist at that point. But in uh, 1984, I, I met my husband, Jack. Um, we were, we met on a gig. Uh, we immediately co- connected uh, based on our musical uh, simpatico. And it was the beginning of a partnership that really uh, 
when I look back on it, helped shape the career, the course of my career uh, as I transitioned to jazz singing. I think he was the first one who, who brought to my attention, Hey, wait a minute. This, 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 you should be looking at jazz. You have all the skills, you have all the knowledge necessary to do this well. Uh, let's look at it. And so sure enough, we went in that direction. The very next year, um, I released my first album, Whatever We Imagine. Uh, Leonard Fender, Feather gave it four stars in the LA Times. We did a lot of touring on that album. Um, and then I think one more, if you want more of a component that I feel is really crucial to who I am as a musician, and that is that in the late 80s, uh, Jack and I were invited to help design a college jazz studies program from the ground up. And once involved in that, uh, jazz singing and teaching became intertwined for me in a very, very, very important way. Um, it, teaching had, had, has had an, uh, an impact on my, my entire evolution as a jazz musician. Uh, I think a crucial component was that about a year into that, I was asked to, to design and deliver the jazz history course. And I thought at the time, heck, I don't know a thing about jazz, really. This is going to be a, a heavy lift. But, you know, I worked through it, and boy, I, I'm so glad I did because it changed my life. It made me realize, you know, as a vocalist looking at jazz, it was a little bit like, hmm, how do I fit into this? And I started, I, I realized with, you know, kind of hitting me with like a brick on the head that it was a totally instrumental genre, and the role of the singer within it was fairly marginal, to be honest, apart from a couple of looming presences like like Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughan and the like. So over time, I graduate, I, you know, I kind of graduated, grad, sorry, what's the word, gravitated toward, um, you know, I left the vocal standards behind a bit and started looking at the jazz standards. And so I started with uh, uh, tunes that already had lyrics created. Uh, like Equinox and Very Early and Beauty and the Beast and Ask Me Now. And then I, you know, started delving more into jazz tunes without lyrics, thinking, well, maybe I'll write my own lyrics. And I did some of that. I wrote lyrics for uh, Bill Evans' Five, uh, Remembering the Rain. I uh, uh, wrote a lyric for Black Narcissus that I think is the official lyric. Um, and, you know, now I feel very conversant with uh, working, if you will, my repertoire consists of uh, mainly instrumental uh, composers, tunes by instrumental composers, with a mix of you know some have lyrics, some don't have don't. I'm I'm happier and happier as life goes on, dealing with uh, tunes that don't have lyrics. I I feel like, um, you know, my thought is always this: uh, <clears throat> if a if a trumpet player, for instance, can play a ballad and improvise on it, why can't I? I mean, why do I have to sing a lyric? If, if particularly if it's the standard, you know what I mean? And so I began to look at myself through the, the lens of an instrumentalist and to approach my music that way. Um, the other, of course, the other takeaway from the jazz history experience was improvisation. <laughs> I hadn't been really improvising until then. I mean, certainly melodic embellishment, meaning I knew how to stretch of melody and and work with the melody within the jazz idiom, uh, both rhythmically and melodically. But I hadn't actually dealt into non, non-verbal scatting, you know. And so I began to uh, mess with that. And so then again, that opened up a whole new world for me. And now I'm a complete, what's the word? Uh, 
I preach the gospel of improvisation whenever I can. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. So, you know, you've been at this for quite a while. I'm curious, what is it that you like the best about being in this profession, in the world of jazz and being a musician? It's challenging always. In other words, or at least I try to keep it challenging always. In other, uh, for I don't, I like to think that I'm constantly evolving and that I'm constantly looking for new challenges within the music. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, uh, formulaic changes that vocal standards have. And, uh, and like I said, as long as I stayed in that realm, it was pretty easy to just intuitively improvise. But once I started working uh, with jazz tunes that were written by jazz composers who maybe used different kinds of harmonic devices, well, then my life became a little more complicated. And, um, uh, and, um, so I, you know, then I had to start really dealing with, uh, with, uh, with jazz harmony. And that, had, of course, is its own life journey. I think the other thing about it is that I just, you know, you're constantly working with new people and, and the challenge of, uh, you know, so much of the time you put a band together for something and, you know, it's like herding cats. You, you book them and they're all ready to go. And then all of a sudden somebody comes along and says, ah, I can't make it for this reason. And, you know, or I never could make it and you'll have to replace me. And so you're constantly, you know, personnel is constantly shifting, changing. And every, you know, that brings a new chemistry to the group, which entails a different kind of way to approach them and the music and, and all that. And, uh, and again, I think, um, the idea that, uh, that impro- improvisation is essentially, um, you know, this feeling that no matter what happens next, you have the confidence to see your way through it. And so if you look at it that way, every jazz performance gives you that opportunity to, to see what what new can I come up with? I mean, particularly with tunes that you've done a long time, you know, over and over again. What new can I bring to the table today that I did? I don't want to do the same thing twice, obviously. And there are things that we, you know, we all develop uh, mannerisms or things that we like to do in, in particular tunes that show up, you know, signatures or licks or whatever. But um, it's still a matter of, no, 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 no. I'm going to do something different this time. If it's the last thing I do, you know, and I'm, I find that terribly refreshing and inspiring on, on a daily basis, really. So everyone out there has a perception of you, an idea of who they think you are, your family, your friends and your fans, but ultimately you're the driving force. You lead the ship, so to speak. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Oh gosh. I'm a small person of stature, but I have a big voice. (laughs) I'm kidding. Well, you know, on a very over overarching sense, my life's mission is to bring beauty into the world. I've always felt that. Uh, creating and expressing beauty it informs everything I do and has been the centerpiece of my music. I also, again, coming back to this idea of being an improviser, that is now who I am. I think that defines who I am. Um, I recognize the huge impact that jazz improvisation has had on other aspects of my life. Um, and actually, I see it in my students. The fact that the more that they are involved with jazz, 
uh, they grow in confidence and they learn to think in the moment and problem solve and experiment and collaborate and overcome their fear of failure. And you know what? We're all dealing with those kinds of things. These are things that uh, affect every in every realm of our life. Uh, so, I mean, I, maybe I have a couple of ways I can go from here. Um, one is to maybe talk about uh, what comes out of my passion for improvisation, and that is that in 2015, Jack and I established a 501c3 creative arts, and um, we start. We it came out of our goal or our desire to take jazz beyond to take improvisation beyond jazz to a wider community of practitioners. Um, and we, we weren't sure how we were going to do that exactly, but we had this sort of vision of generally what we wanted to do, and which would be to, if you will, use our experience as music, uh, as musicians and educators to, uh, to help people who don't consider themselves improvisers to better understand and utilize. Now, Meanwhile, we had a chance encounter in 2018 with um, with a group from Little Friends, which is a school in Naperville for children with autism. Uh, the Rotary Club of Naperville had brought them in to Jack's Jazz Combo to observe his rehearsal. And uh, in the hour and a half we had, it, it rather turned into a vocal workshop. He invited me to come up and talk about vocal improvisation I did some things with the audience, uh, back and forth, uh, treating fours and so forth. And then I invited one of them to come up and join me. Well, so sure enough, one of the hands went up and there was this young man, uh, about 14, uh, from the school who came up and was willing to do, try this. And we got through it and he was great. And then all the other hands went up. And so we went around and did this several more times. But meanwhile, Jack was standing in the back of the room when the, all this went down and he was standing next to a staff member, apparently, and he noticed that she was wiping her eyes. And he said, well, are you okay? Is anything wrong? And she said, that young man that's singing with Janice right now hasn't said a word in class for two years. And I think at that point, we realized, wow, maybe we're onto something. And so we we met with Rotary about it, and we ended up creating, if you will, a program where we went over to Little Friends every couple of weeks during the school year that year, and worked with a couple of their um, middle middle school uh, uh, music classes. And uh, just with Jack and I and a piano player, we dealt with vocal improvisation, drum sounds, the blues scale, blues licks, and so forth. And we had a great time with them. They were wonderful. They were they were very responsive. They did so well, in fact, that they put us that we we featured them on our uh, our a student. Uh, jazz concert at the end of the school term and they brought the house down uh, and so uh, what Jack and I really and, and of course COVID then put an end to that I mean it stopped it in its tracks a year later and frankly we never got back on board because by then our lives had changed and then we ended up moving and so that's that's done but Jack and I nonetheless uh, whenever we go out let's say we, we, we were in uh, in Kansas here a couple of years ago to do a concert and after uh, leaving or, or sorry, uh, sending the band home. We stayed a few days more and we arranged to do a series of workshops for various groups in town, uh, folks with disabilities of really of all kinds, not just autism. And, um, uh, we, <laughs> we actually presented seven, uh, workshops in one day 
uh, with, you know, one with each different group. It was exhausting, but it was so much fun. And, uh, we, we try to do that whenever possible. We always pr- offer that as an option free of charge to the, uh, to the venue or to the grant or to the presenting organization. That's wonderful. I, I have a son who's on the spectrum and I've been, he's 18 now. So I've been in the special needs community for, for quite a while. So I, I, I always appreciate that. Janice, if anyone out there wants to pick up your recordings, learn about live music, anything that you're doing, where's the best place for them to go? Um, my website, obviously, uh, it's, it's just JaniceBorland.com. Uh, and there they can find uh, my bio and information about the recordings. Um, there are some music samples on the, uh, you know, each of the albums. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to think of what else is there. Uh, oh, <laughs> Jack's in the background going, Amazon. Yeah, I think probably Amazon would be still the best source to actually purchase uh, uh, music. Um, I knew, I mean, I'm, I'm listed on iTunes and so forth, but in terms of actually buying a, a CD, if anybody still wants to do that. <laughs> They're out there. I, I love listening to it in the car. Janice, thank you so much for taking time out today to open up your world and what's going on and, and your history. It's been fascinating. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest singers and players in Emporia, Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Janice for her time, energy, and cool. You can find more Neon Jazz interviews on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.